We're golf influencers. We totally support your brand. No, not financially. Us? Buy something? But you can totally send us a care package at your cost and we might post about it. We're golf influencers. Most of us can trace our roots in golf all the way back to the pandemic. But some of us OGs, we go even further back. Back to Tiger's win at the 2019 Masters. We're golf influencers. Our link tree is full of 10% off discount codes to brands no one has heard of. We're golf influencers. All of us are pretending to know who Anthony Kim is right now. We're golf influencers. Golf has been around since the 1800s, but we just got here, and this game has to change because we said so. We're golf influencers, and once we amass a certain number of followers, you can set your watch to music because the merch drop is coming. Who doesn't need an $80 hoodie with our face on it? We're golf influencers. A Carlsbad OEM could shit in cardboard and we'd still unbox it on Instagram Live. We're golf influencers. Golf courses put us out for free, block out times behind us so we can film our videos, and roll out the red carpet all expenses paid. But we never publicly thank them. We're golf influencers, and we're way too old to be this immature. We're golf influencers, and we're in serious denial about our shelf life. Welcome to the fellowship. My name is Adam Hawk. And I'm Ryan Engel. <laughs> joined as always by that guy <laughs> right there, Ryan Engel. The early invites to the 16th annual Nation Desert Classic are out. We go public next Friday, February 9th. The Farmers Insurance Open is in the books. Anthony Kim might be making a return to professional golf. But first, let's talk couches. Couches? Couches. How's your couch at your house? You have two dogs, five people living under the same roof, and a three-year-old. What's the status of your couch? It's dark gray, and it just hides everything. So we're just we're riding it till the wheels fall off. It's pilling up a little bit in times, but we just got to that point where it's like, okay, baby, dogs. Thankfully, our dogs don't shed. They're hyperallergenic. We're going to wait till this thing falls apart and then put it in the fire pit in the backyard. Nice. By the way, last night, we had a little birthday celebration for Katie Kai's dad. After we blew out the candles, I went outside and I took the sawzaw to the Christmas tree that I've been drying out in the backyard, cut it in four pieces, lit that thing on fire while everyone watched from inside the, the sliding glass window, and the flames were higher than our grapefruit tree. It's pretty funny because I do it every year and- the flames go so high. It's the resin in the pine needles. Oh, yeah. They don't call it lighted up like a Christmas tree for nothing. Dude, it goes so high and so bright and so hot so fast that you can see the neighbors like looking through the blinds and shit, you know, on the other sides. So yeah. And they're just like, what is this fucking idiot doing? It's like, well, burning my Christmas tree as right. a matter of fact. Yeah, good for you. That's a time-honored tradition. Yeah. You've got pallet boards and Christmas trees. What do you think goes up faster? Christmas tree. Mm. Hundred percent. Yeah, but it's short-lived. It's like a shitty grand finale mm. at a fireworks show. Yeah. Well, I ask about your couch because mine is smoked. Had it for six years. One kid pissed the ocean on it. Another kid barfed on it. The cat has clawed the shit out of it, and it's just an eyesore. It looks like something you'd find in an alley. And my wife and I have wanted to upgrade forever, but never have because we live in fear that the kids who think that couch is another word for trampoline or toilet will just destroy it. But they're older now, and we pulled the trigger yesterday and got a brand new couch. Living spaces. <laughs> Living spaces. Actually. Where'd you go, dude? Costco. Costco. <laughs> oh, baby. 
Where did you get one that's on sale that's out? You got to wheel it to the front like a fucking idiot. So here's the deal. Yes, it's on sale, but I don't know if you know this about Costco. Things like couches are much cheaper in store than they are online because the shipping and delivery is included in the price online. If you buy something at Costco like a couch, their policy is you buy it, you take it. Yeah, we got a dining room table last year. Same thing. It was the one that was out. And you looked in the catalog, it was $2,500, and it was $4.99. Take this one or leave it. There wasn't any others, and we fucking wheeled that thing up like the Beverly Hillbillies. Excellent. So this, And you know what the best part about this kind of shit is? Speaking from experience with this table, it's getting scratched. It's gotten delammed. And you know what? Don't care. I don't give a shit. Nope. Yeah. You're just thinking about all that money you saved. So we were debating... Do we take this couch? And that debate ended real quickly because what's it going to do? Fit in a Hyundai Tucson or a Toyota Corolla? So the guy at Costco said, we have a guy around town. Here's his card. You can call him and he'll come and grab it for you at his convenience. So I called the guy. He gave me his price. It was a little steep. Is he dating the uh, dental tech that lives next door to you? Oh, no, no. (laughs) Nice callback. Very nice callback. No. So after talking to that guy, we went home and just bought the couch online for $200 more than it was in store. And now we will wait for the couch to come. But there was a point yesterday. So you pushed out. Well, there was a point yesterday in Costco where I had your phone number ready to call. And I was going to see if we could put the Ford Transit van into work. But I thought... This guy's not coming up from South Orange County to help me move a giant ass nine foot couch. Oh, Saturdays and Sundays, if if I get past Irvine Spectrum, I start getting the hives. Is that right? Yeah, it's just I can't go any further. Can't go any further north. Unless I'm hugging the coast. Like I'll go Newport. I'll only go to Huntington just because there's a Dukes there, but pretty much start getting itchy. Yeah. Real itchy, actually. I think it's the weather, too. It's just so much hotter over there, you know? Yeah, no, keep it going. What else? You know, we got bars on our windows. Yeah, maybe it's just the anxiety, like the the crime anxiety. I don't know. Yeah. Anyway, (laughs) new couch coming on Friday, and... Mina, don't hate me. Don't hate me, Mina. It's just a joke. I'm not not Craig. Part of of the deal (laughs) is they're not going to haul away the old couch, so I got to get the old couch out. And I have a question for you. Oh, my God. What do I do with this old couch? I have an alley. Is it on the up and up for me just to go park this couch in the alley and hope some guy with a pickup truck comes and grabs it? Well, speaking from experience, being that I've navigated the potholes of your neighborhood, I would suggest that you could just put it out on the front sidewalk, little free sign, and let it live for 15 minutes before someone grabs it. Seems like that's the kind of neighborhood you got. Yeah, that's not the neighborhood I got. Thank you for (laughs) implying that. It's a family neighborhood, and I don't feel like putting an eyesore out in the front. I'm totally down with putting it in the back. Well, you get way more eyes on it in the front, Adam. With the alleys in Fullerton, because there are back houses behind every single house, there are a lot of people that drive through those alleys looking through trash cans. You put that thing in the front, it's gone in 25 minutes. You put that thing in the back, and you've got a scarecrow with a newspaper blanket taking a nap on it. Just saying, dude. So you're asking me. I'm telling you. Front yard, dog. Okay. Okay. We'll, we'll see. Okay. Okay. We'll see. 
I'll keep you posted. Regardless, if I put that's a knee slapper, folks. Yeah, that's a knee slapper. If I put it in the front or the back, I am moving this couch with the help of my wife. I don't have any. It comes apart, dude. No, I know it's a sectional, but it's a heavy sectional, and I don't have any muscle around me. Oh so my God. it's my wife and I moving the couch. Okay, go in your trash can, get some of your wives. I only have one wife, so it'd be get my wife's. some of your wife's. Yeah, leftover Amazon boxes, and you cut little squares off. Lift each end of the couch up. Put a little square under each foot of the couch. It'll slide nice right to the front door. Then you just lean it over on its side. It's not like you're trying to not get it dirty on the sides. So you just get it out the front, wiggle it left, right, left, right, left, right. Wiggle it out. Get it so it clears the the top of the house, and then you just go end over end like a fucking snowball. Because you can lift it, right? Mm-hmm. You can't carry it. So you just lift it, push, boom. Lift it, push, boom. Dun, 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 dun. Front yard, 25 minutes. See you next Tuesday. All right. Very good. I appreciate the advice. I'm glad that I brought it up. The Farmer's Insurance Open is in the rear view, gone just like that without much fanfare. Maybe it's because this is now a wackadoodle afterthought of a golf tournament played Wednesday through Saturday instead of Thursday through Sunday. Maybe it's because elevated events on the tour have killed the strength of the field. Maybe it's because January is swallowed up by the NFL. Maybe it's because the likes of Matthew Pavon, Nikolai Hogard, and Steven Yeager made up the final group. A real who's who of who the hell are these guys. Maybe it's because Jim Nance phoned in his broadcast because he was quite literally phoning it in via an ISDN line from a booth in Baltimore where he was on location for the AFC Championship game. Whatever the reason or reasons, despite the incredible drama on the 72nd hole Saturday afternoon, this once proud golf tournament at a legacy golf course is just a total shell of itself now. You watched a little bit and you told me earlier this morning before we started taping, what the hell's going on with this thing? Is anyone there? Anyone watching? It looked like the inside of a Los Angeles restaurant during peak COVID. There's people making food in there, but not a lot of patrons. Who would have thought that Buick was a better sponsor than Farmers Insurance? Just goes to show that insurance companies must make hand over fist because I don't know anybody who has Farmers Insurance. Do you? No. Have you ever even met a fucking another human being with Farmers Insurance? No. I mean, I know the logo. I see the advertisements. Never seen a customer. I'll be honest. I get Farmers and State Farm confused a lot, too. Yeah. Very similar names. I'm a Geico man myself. Yeah. Rest in peace to the original Jake from State Farm khakis. (laughs) What are you wearing, Jake from State Farm? Uh, khakis. She sounds hideous. Well, she's a guy, so. I watched a sizable amount (laughs) Of the coverage on Saturday. And let me tell you, final round golf coverage on a Saturday just doesn't work. First off, the guilt that I feel completely gassing a Saturday on televised pro golf is palpable. No family man should be watching golf on a Saturday. Quite frankly, it should be illegal. To hold the family and the family television hostage for six hours the day after the work week and the school week concludes is criminal. And I owe an apology to my wife and kids, so I'm very sorry for that. The only reason I watched was because I had just played Torrey Pines two weeks ago. So the golf course was extremely fresh on my mind. And there's something really cool and unique about watching the pros play a joint that you just played. It's like seeing your neighborhood pop up on the local news and you're like, hey, I've been there. I I know that place. Except you get that feeling for an entire telecast of a golf tournament. So I was glued, selfishly glued. 
As for the takeaways, Matthew Pavon won by a single shot despite trying his best to choke it away on 17 and 18, but he did win. Good for him. Now, this dude, Matthew Pavon, is going viral, but not for winning the Farmers. Instead, for one of the worst tattoos the world has ever seen. Did you see this guy's tattoo? No. Okay. Say carpe diem in that Chinese <laughs> letters. It, you're close. You're close. <laughs> With barbed wire around it. Hey, I got a tattoo take. Can we take a pause real quick? We don't need a pause. We can keep rolling. Okay. Yeah, go ahead. Well, I mean, pause on me interrupting whatever the fuck you're talking about. Go ahead. Okay. You noticed that this whole 90s thing is coming back. Mm-hmm. Fashion-wise, it's crept into golf, but only with the wannabe fashion brands like our buddies brand and all these COVID guys. Sure. So, anyways, it's big with the chicks. So now the chicks wearing like the big baggy jeans with the low-rise thing, the Doc Martens, like the tight shirts, you know, choker necklaces, and they're looking like '90s. And that was when I was in high school. Why would you ever bring that back? We looked awful. I try to burn the photos of what I wore back then, you know. They're all about this 90s thing. What I don't see people doing is going that extra mile, and it's the 90s tattoos. You want proof in the pudding that this is just a fart in the wind and a fast fashion grab pull? There's no commitment to this. If there was a commitment, we'd be getting thorn, rosebush, tramp stamp tattoos. These chicks would be going lower back, slapping it on there, just like all the girls we all dated in the 90s. There's a reason why high-waisted bikinis came back in. It's because all those gals who made those mistakes back in the 90s had to cover those bitches up. If you really want to see the commitment, folks, I want to start seeing some tramp stamps, some ladybugs with rose vines and thorns and tribal. Yeah, I want to see it. Barbed wire, give me that tramp stamp. Thank you for that. Yeah. Worth the interruption, no doubt. This guy, Matthew Pavon, the tattoo that he has is on his right hand, his hand. Hand? Like top of his hand? Top of his right hand. Not his arm, his freaking hand. He has a tattoo that says, quote, the saliva that flows now will become the tears of joy tomorrow. I repeat, the saliva that flows now will become the tears of joy tomorrow. Hey, Pavon. I understand that you're French and that English is your second language, but here's the deal, dude. If you're going to get a tattoo in English, you better double check your translator app or have a native English speaker give it a once over because when you decide to get blasted with permanent ink, no one in the history of the language has ever referred to flowing saliva as some kind of output for hard work. The word you were looking for is sweat, not saliva. Wait a second. A grown man. Got flowing saliva tattooed on his right hand. Yes. Good job. Okay. All right. Take it easy. Here's the way that he intended that tattoo to come off. This is the way that it's... Oh, that's so bad, dude. This is the way it should have read. The sweat that flows now will become the tears of joy tomorrow. That's what you were looking for there, champ. Not the saliva that flows now will become the tears of joy tomorrow. We need to know who did this tattoo. I know. Did he get it here or did he get it overseas? Because if he did it here and a tattoo artist went along with that and didn't stop and say, hey, bud, no one here says that. I think you're looking for the word sweat, not saliva. Then that tattoo artist should be sued. It's blood, sweat, and tears, not blood, saliva, and tears. It's sweat equity, not saliva equity. But not only is the tattoo all jacked up in what it says, it's on this dude's non-glove hand. 
There is no way to cover it up or hide it or get away from it. The dude has to wear this for the rest of his life. But don't sweat it, Pavon. Uh, sorry, don't saliva it, Pavon. Now that you just won $1.6 million, use some of that cash to get lasered. Or go with the old Tommy Two Gloves look and wrap up that right paw because that tattoo is going to follow you around forever. Because one, it's a tattoo. And two, it's on your hand. He could get a cover up. Maybe something tribal with thorny bushes and butterflies. <laughs> now we move on to the AT&T Pro-Am at Pebble Beach. That's where the tour is going next. And if you just can't get enough of white rappers with 24 handicaps peddling thrift store clothes at Gucci prices, or you just love watching Bill Murray pass off tired hijinks and gallery harassment as world-class humor, or you just really want to watch a sleeveless, washed-up Larry the Cable Guy piss all over Bing Crosby's legacy, then this is the golf tournament for you. Yeah. Can't wait. Our friend Anthony Bacardi, who has since recovered from the Mary Swankmas show, sent this question to me. Quote, you two famously despise the modern-day golf celebrity, whether it's Justin Timberlake, DJ Khaled, Macklemore, or Travis Kelsey. So what celebrities of today would you want to see in a golf tournament like the Bob Hope or the AT&T Pro-Am? Engel, who do you want to see from today's celebrity, if you even know any, playing golf at these Pro-Ams? It's time to put the celebrity thing to rest because there aren't any anymore. The bar is so low that it's on the ground. So there's no limboing anymore, folks. You're just hopping right over it. Good for the common man. They've entered the chat. You can be a YouTube sensation. You can be a nobody and be famous nowadays. And unfortunately, what that's done is it's watered down the mystique and charm of real celebrities. Can you think of one guy in the traditional sense, a celebrity, that would be like, oh, this would be amazing if he was playing in this golf tournament? I have a few on my list, but before I get to my list, I do want to note that after Anthony <clears throat> Bacardi sent me that question and said, answer this on your podcast, he wrote back, I will bet you dinner that Ryan Engel says none of these lame celebrities could be involved. So now yeah. I owe Tony Bacardi dinner. Good. You guys can go to Shakey's, get a pizza and a fried chicken wing get and some red beans in the salad bar. <laughs> <laughs> Don't forget the mojos. Yeah. Celebrities, it's not what it used to be, and they're not what they used to be. If I could make a list of people that I would like to see play golf on TV at one of these events, I would like to see celebrities that I respect, who I like, who I think are masters of their craft and elevate their genres, celebs who would probably give the same respect to golf that they give to their art. So for me, that's Conan O'Brien, Nathan Fielder, Leonardo DiCaprio, Pedro Pascual, Tom York, Jason Bateman, and Club Pro Guy. <laughs> Those are all cool guys, I guess, but are they making people feel a certain way when they're on the practice tee like Dean Martin and Sammy Davis Jr. did when they were teeing it up at the Hope? The gap is huge, folks, and I know it's hard to imagine it, but you know, back then, those kind of people walk into a room and people go, oh my God. You think Jason Bateman's walking into a restaurant and people are going, holy shit. They might be excited like, oh, hey, let me get a picture. <laughs> it ain't nothing like it was. And that's okay. My point remains. Let's just get rid of that shit. We don't need it. You know what's interesting is for the first time ever, the AT&T Pro-Am is an elevated event. And so it will have the strongest field. This field as strong as any golf tournament out there. So you're going to see guys like Scotty Scheffler 
and Justin Thomas and Jordan Spieth out there when normally you don't, and they're going to be playing with the likes of Nick Saban slicing it off the first tee. What is this, dude? Why is a college football coach a celebrity now? Speaking of Nick Saban, Nick Dunlap will be making his professional golf debut at the AT&T. Wow. So he gets straight into an elevated event? That's it. Yeah. Wow. Yep. And that's you can just win an event and have enough points to just be on that level? I don't even know that he got the points. I think he just gets a champion's exemption, potentially, uh, from winning this year. I'm not totally sure. I know for certain that the PGA Tour has done everything in their power to make following professional golf as confusing as possible. Oh, yeah. You take a fan like me who watches and reads about it and follows it on social media, and I can't even answer your question about how Nick Dunlap is in this tournament. Yeah. It would be cool to see Nick Dunlap and Nick Saban in the same group. Little Alabama love there. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I'll be tuning into that for sure. I'm sure you will. Now let us talk about Anthony Kim. Oh God. The so called golf yeti, the unicorn of the game, the three time PGA tour winner who did the impossible and ascended to superstar status right in the heart of the Tiger Woods era, who all but disappeared from the game and the public spotlight twelve years ago in two thousand twelve. He hasn't played a single event, hasn't hit a single golf shot in public, hasn't even done an interview for over a decade. In a game where no one vanishes because you can play for 30 years and parachute into the senior tour or the coaching circuit or the broadcast booth, Anthony Kim, one of the most popular players in the history of golf, pulled a Houdini and stuck to it. And in the process, his legend grew. And make no mistake about it, folks, get this straight and crystallized in your mind. The lore around Anthony Kim is heavily aided by his disappearance. Heavily aided by his disappearance. And now it's being reported that this guy is very close to making a comeback and the golf world has their biggest story. Your initial takes to Anthony Kim potentially coming back? It's funny how he's become this folklore, iconic golf person. He was exciting. He was supposed to be this next main draw, and people were comparing him to Tiger because he won early. I don't think he would have lived up to that, but he was going to be somebody, whether it be a Jordan Spieth, Rory kind of level guy. He was right there. But folks, nobody goes away like Houdini with a wiped social media, zero interviews, and just like Rumorville, USA. couple things here. Research what an NDA is, and then research what statute of limitations are. I've heard a lot of stories. The one that sticks the most that everyone just regurgitates because they don't know what they're talking about and everyone just likes to copy and paste whatever talking points there are is this insurance thing. If the insurance thing was true, would he have been in hiding this whole time? Explain to people what the insurance policy is in case they don't know. Apparently, there's a rumor that he quit because he took such a big insurance policy on his professional career that when he had ailing injuries and then finally that Achilles problem that he cashed out on the insurance and went off into space. The report from Alan Shipnook many, many years ago is that Anthony Kim pulled out an insurance policy on his professional career in the realm of 10 to $20 million. And if he agreed to never, ever swing a club again on a professional level, he would get paid out that amount of money for the rest of his life. Yeah, so 10 to $20 million for the rest of his life? That's not a lot of money. No. And, and he would have made way more money playing golf right. with endorsements, winnings, all that stuff. So 
The question is, how dumb are you guys? Do you believe that? And it might be true. He might have pulled that insurance thing. I'm sure some of these guys do now. But that wouldn't make someone go quiet, go dark. Now, we've heard other stories too. And one that I've heard from a number of sources, he was quietly forced out and asked to go away and shut his lip because something drastic happened. I don't know if it's true or not, but it makes way more sense than this insurance thing. It's well documented that Anthony Kim was rolling with his entourage and they partied their asses off. From what I've heard is his buddy was driving or something and there was a crash and there was illegal substances in the car and someone got hurt. The PGA Tour or whoever's in charge of of their checkbook got involved and basically made it all go away. Part of the thing was, hey, you got to sign this NDA and you got to fucking go away. We'll cover this up, but you're out of here. You look at it from that perspective, makes a lot more sense. I mean, yeah. However, we do need to point out that it is unsubstantiated. Yeah, but back then you could pull stuff like that. Sure. You couldn't do it now. But I don't want to sit here myself, Adam Hawk, and sign off on that story. I don't know it to be true. And I'm not saying that you're signing off on it being true. This is a story that you've heard, but we don't know it to be true. They just recently kind of did the same thing with Tiger's accident. Here's the thing. I don't even know the insurance policy to be true. And you say that it's potentially a normal thing that a lot of guys do. I've never heard of that. I've never heard of someone taking out an insurance policy against their health who is in professional athletics. And I tried this weekend to do as much research. To find it? Yeah. I tried to do as much research as I could on the insurance policy. I can't find a damn thing about it. I can't find anyone who can tell me who sold him this insurance policy? What year did he take it out? How much money is involved? What are the clauses? If you go pull out a 10 to $20 million insurance policy on yourself, can't you just fake injuries or go to some sketchy doctor and get some kind of note that's protected by HIPAA that says you can't play anymore and then you're cashing in on this money? The insurance policy to me not being able to find out more about it in the age of information and having so many questions and this guy coming back and no one answering it over the weekend. I can't be the only one wondering about this insurance policy. The insurance policy to me is what sketches me out. To me, that's the biggest red flag because granted, I don't know for sure, but I'm telling you what my gut tells me. It's fucking bullshit. Whether he pulled something like that out and got paid for being injured or not, maybe that's true, but that is not the reason why this guy bailed the scene and went into hiding. This guy went into hiding. That's the fact. That's what we do know. It's going to be interesting because if he does come back and do this, like everyone's just getting all fucking yippy about right now, if that does happen, he's got to answer some questions. I have to have some questions answered. I have to know. Now, I want to read a part of the best column I saw over the weekend on Anthony Kim because it was the only honest one. This is by Joel Beal of Golf Digest. Believe it or not, Golf Digest put out some quality content. Does this Joel Beal guy really exist, or is this AI? This is not Sports Illustrated, which, by the way, <laughs> just went under. I don't know if you saw that. They're done. They're done. They're done. Wow. It's over. This is Joel Beal of Golf Digest writing about Anthony Kim in an article he titled, Anthony Kim is not who you think he is. And again, I'm calling this the best thing I read over the weekend, and one of the only honest assessments of Anthony Kim's PGA Tour career. I'm not going to read the whole thing, but let me just read part of it. It starts like this, quote, and I think, Engel, you'll love this intro, quote, nostalgia is what's remembered, not what was witnessed. 
the slightest sheens made brighter than they were because they are camouflaged by the patina of time. The problem with folk heroes is they are mostly fictional. And the author, Joel Beale, goes on to point out the facts that while Anthony Kim became just the fifth player to win three times before turning 25, and while he made a Ryder Cup team and a President's Cup team and set a record for birdies at the Masters and got to number six in the world and was a pop culture star doing late night TV and playing in an NBA celebrity all-star game, and while he was extremely marketable and signed to Nike and a jolt to the golf landscape at the time, he wasn't nearly as great as everyone remembers. And getting back to the article, Joel Beale finishes, quote, In his absence, Kim has become a passport of cool among fans in the same vein that naming obscure former players or remembering jersey numbers are signs of a devoted following to a sport. Nostalgia only works as a thought exercise, and any resurrection because of it is a road to disappointment, end quote. Wow. You got everyone falling over themselves to tell you how much they loved this guy, how they were his biggest fan, how he was the best they've ever seen play, how they cannot wait for his return. And I don't want to diminish any of those takes. If you're excited for Anthony Kim to come back, good for you. I'm excited for Anthony Kim to come back. I want to see what he's got. I just want to see him. Yeah. I love the guy. I am not taking anything away from Anthony Kim. I'll tell you what, the story of him disappearing and the rumors, that's the most exciting part. Yeah. It's not his style of play or his demeanor or his interviews or his likability. It's none of that shit. The reason why he's so popular is because he fucking bailed and no one knows why and that's what i said at the top when we got into this topic that his disappearance heavily aided his legend and this is what this author is pointing out yeah this guy was good at times he was great but he is not what everyone thinks he is no. he, he was not the next tiger woods i don't even know if he was the next rory or spieth because he couldn't last that long he got injured and he went away his career is what it is. There's no what ifs. We saw the what if, and the what if is he got injured and went away, or so we think. Yeah. That's what it is. But everyone is remembering Anthony Kim as one of the greatest golfers to ever play. And I was there. I saw it. I'm I wasn't four years old when he was winning. Yeah. I was fourteen. I don't have the most crystal clear memories of it, but I was into golf and into Anthony Kim, and I loved watching him play, but he was never the best golfer. No, he was exciting, but every one of his victories, even the victory against Sergio, it was like he was there at the end, and he was more surprised he won than anyone else. Well, And hey, he had this really great self-deprecating thing about him, but he was just like, holy shit, I won. And he, when he beat Sergio, he was like walking to the next hole. He's like, oh, what, me? Does the Michael block? Oh, me? I won? You know, like, oh, shit. Shake hands. He had raw natural talent, and he was exciting to watch, and he played with flair. I think he even knew he wasn't that great. I think he was surprised when he won. Like you said, there were moments where he was great. Where's the 30 for 30 on this guy? Well, I don't know if they have access to anyone around him, and they certainly don't have access to him. But Weird. That's... It's almost like there's an NDA yeah. and a story that can't be told. Sure, and maybe we'll get that one day. I want to go back to the last line of that article before we move on. Quote, nostalgia only works as a thought exercise, and any resurrection because of it is a road to disappointment. I saw this firsthand with Ken Griffey Jr., who left Seattle for 10 years and came back about 50 pounds heavier and far less than 50% of the player. 
And we as fans ate it up. It's our guy. He's coming back. We haven't seen him in 10 years. What if he hits 50 home runs? What if he takes this team from the bottom of the standings to the top? What fucking Kool-Aid were we drinking? (laughs) This dude was like 280 pounds, and I love him, and it hurts me to say all this stuff, but he was a shell of himself. Yeah. He was gone for 10 years. And unlike Anthony Kim, we got to watch him play on the Reds and on the White Sox and watched him get injured and be a shell of himself. And we still convinced ourselves that as a 39-year-old, overweight, batting 209, he was going to come back and help our team. That's what fandom does to you, and that's what's happening with Anthony Kim right now. So the question I have for you is, how is Anthony Kim, after 12 years of not playing and leaving as a guy who missed more cuts than he made, going to do in professional golf today at the age of 38? I don't know, dude. Right? In what world are we sitting here thinking, like, this guy's going to come and tear it up? Golf has only gotten bigger, faster, stronger since he left. The fields have only gotten deeper. They are going to the ends of earth to find these guys. The prize money is so insane that people are choosing golf at a young age instead of basketball or baseball or football. So Anthony Kim, who was something very special 12, 15 years ago, he can't just come back in 2024 and be something, can he? Probably have a better chance getting Backstreet Boys to have number one Billboard chart single. Yeah, with all five original members. (laughs) Yeah, the guy with the goggles on his head. Yeah, yeah, exactly. <laughs> or is that a different band? I think, I think you're right. Band. Was that guy going to like fly a plane up yeah, your like, show? What, what's up with the fucking goggles? Yeah, no dude. idea. Is he going to go to live or is he going to go to the PGA Tour? I, I, there's no way he's going to the PGA Tour. Well, here's the case for the Tour, and I learned this after doing more research. He doesn't have to play his way back on. He has a lot of past champion exemptions. In fact, one writer pointed out he could get into most of every event this year if he wanted to, including the elevated events. The live money's there. He's definitely going to try and play for Liv, and the PGA Tour is going to try and sue him because they're the ones who covered up his accident. Market, book it, ship it. The case for Liv is guaranteed money, money that would instantly take care of that insurance policy. Like, this guy's not sitting around wondering, if I come back to pro golf, am I going to lose my 10 to $20 million? Dude, whether you go to the PGA Tour or Liv, you are going to make that back in the snap of a finger. If you go to the PGA Tour, you're going to get all sorts of sponsorships and endorsements. And if you play just marginally well, considering how big these purses are, you'll make that money. If you go to live, they'll give you money up front and then they pay last place. So he's going to make the money back. I think live is a much softer landing spot for him. I think that's the reason why he's resurfacing. You don't have to be good on live. First off, no one watches. Second off, everyone gets paid. And you're not really chasing history out there. There's no cut. You're playing 54 holes. So live makes sense. And the question I have now, and I asked myself this is, would you watch live golf if Anthony Kim was on the tour? I'd watch his comeback. Same. I'd watch the first look at him. Yeah. It hurts me to say because I hate live. I hate everything about it. You know, I cannot stand it. It's a joke to me. It's, It's a crime against golf. I would absolutely want. I, think, I think that's a little drastic. Yeah, but I, I'm I get, a little I get drastic. Why, yeah, I get, I get why you feel that way. I, it's not as bad as you think it is. I mean, there's there's definitely some cringe shit about it. I only watched one half of a final round of a tournament. It was the one that Dustin Johnson made that fucking lucky putt from 90 feet that like hopped in the air and went in the hole and it won the tournament. I will say the last 10 minutes of the tournament was exciting because of the shotgun start. It was going back and forth to the four players who had a chance to win 
and it was just like creating a lot of drama. Mm-hmm. And I was like, well, that's a cool aspect. I'm sure the other days weren't as exciting to watch a shotgun start, but the ending was definitely exciting. I would watch if Anthony Kim went back, which is crazy because you can take John Rahm, you can take Brooks Kepka, you can take Dustin Johnson. Apparently, Tyrrell Hatton went today. You can take all those guys. Anthony Kim is the only guy that would make me watch That's live. why this is buzzing. They're right. creating this thing. He's going to live because they know that they're going to get eyes on it, and that's what this is all about. We will see. That is going to do it for us. Thank you so much for listening to The Fellowship. We will catch you next week.